your whole life you've been a comic book nerd fan what do you yeah. call yourself fan or nerd yeah you could use both depend whatever gets me the date so the, <laughs> you had it right off the bat yeah yeah so, got, got right in you're a lonely man no no it's just yeah. it's, it's a kasha aggie hangover oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so what, what was it that got you like what got you into comic books uh do you remember earl's drugs i do yeah so it was uh it was fifth grade and I went over to Earl's Drugs after school. I was going to walk home and a yeah. bunch of, I walked home with a few, you know, the, the gang that lived in my street. Right. And I went in there and it was an Iron Man comic. And I just was looking and there was something about the gold and the red and the cover. And I remember just picking it up and I just bought the comic and yeah. I loved reading it. And so then I went back to Earl's Drugs the next day and started buying up other, other stuff. Hmm. You know, Spider-Man. Then I saw that they said, oh, Iron Man's on a team. I bought the Avengers. And then there were all these cartoons on. And I just started, you know, getting. I had a little bit of that Super Friends cartoon thing. But even yeah. as a kid, I didn't, you know, I found them boring. It wasn't like action backed. It's funny. I had a totally different experience at Earl's. They had video games there. They had Crazy Climber. Yeah. As well as Moon Control. Yep. That I'd go there Moon, after school yeah. and play. And uh, have uh, Jolly Ranchers, but that, that's not even the best part. The guy who owned the place, he used to show me penthouses behind the counter. He'd be like, hey, you want to see a penthouse? <laughs> so um, totally different experience. Did he offer you some candy, too? No, I bought the candy. He didn't even... <laughs> you bought the candy. And then he's like, hey, you guys want to look at me and Jim Bowler? Yeah, he'd be like, hey, you want to see some penthouses? And he let us look. And it's like sixth grade. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. do you let you sample the cough medicine know. too? I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Well, that, that's okay. a, that that had nothing to do with what I wanted to ask you about, but no. you led me down that path. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can we can get back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, little... was was comic books like back then was it as big as it is now? No. Like it, it's an industry now. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's full on. It's it, back then it was yeah, there were some off-color cartoons that mm -hmm. were on and you know, comic book stores were just like you know, little hole in the wall places and uh, you could buy them for 25 cents. Sure. Right. You know, yeah. they're 30 cents. You could get like a grocery bag full for like 10 bucks. It was yeah. great. And are you that into it that you go to conventions? Have you ever been to a convention? Oh, yeah. I, I used to really? work at conventions mm -hmm. when I worked at Empire Comics. Oh, yeah. You, and, you had uh, to. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then as, in, you know, as I got as I got to be more of an adult, I still go. I don't dress up or anything like that. No. I have not been to San Diego Comic Con. I want to go there. I'm shocked you haven't. Exchange. New York Comic Con I've been to and it's a madhouse. Yeah. But Where do they do that one? Um, at the Javits Center. Oh, the ja Javits. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We just heard about the Javits not too long ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, listen, who do you got today? All right. We are doing a little local flavor today. Nice. Uh, accent on the flavor remark. Right. We have Jason Barrett. He is the founder, CEO, and everything you can imagine about Black Button Distillery uh, based here in Rochester, New York. Nice. And I am pleased to announce that in addition to him being uh, the founder of Black Button Distillery, um, they have recently recently produced their two millionth bottle Whoa. of bourbon. That's a lot of so bourbon. I am Well, I'm a bourbon fan, so I am really excited <laughs> nice. to, uh, to speak with Jason today. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Yeah. No, no problem. Gentlemen, you, you're, you're too polite. Yes. Please. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to ruin our reputation. You just heard what I was talking about. I'm no gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so black button distilling, let's, uh, let's just talk about where you are right now. And then I want to start from the beginning. So, yeah. our, our, cause our, our listeners, uh, it, it's a big thing for us to, to hear the story about 
where you got your inspiration, how you got into this, and really the building part is really key. But let's start where you are right now. We're in this we're in this coming out of COVID world right now. Um, how's it going? Where are you right now? And, and what's happening with the distillery and some other projects? So craft distilling has been hit pretty hard by COVID. Yeah. Uh, the restaurants and bars were some of the main ways that we would get our products in the market. So uh, obviously significant losses in liquor revenue there. Uh, Cause even the places that are doing takeout often aren't able to do to go cocktails, or if they are, they're having to be very price conscientious, yep. which we completely understand, but certainly makes that difficult. Um, our team has worked very hard the last year, really turning over every rock, pulling out every stop. And we're proud to say that we are completely flat with last year. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> which, uh, which normally one would not celebrate being exactly where you were a year ago. Um, especially considering we've brought yeah. on significant numbers of staff to do that. Uh, but if you were on wall street, your stock could double. that's a pretty good day. <laughs> yeah. That's the world we live in. If you were on wall street, if you were public right now, you'd be worth more than Ford motor company just for saying that. That's great. <laughs> We're working hard at it. That's awesome. So, yeah. so any of the the tasting rooms, any of the rooms open, like, or are are you just purely like in a quote unquote wholesale mode? So, our Rochester tasting room is currently open for outside service, and every Saturday we've got some brave souls that uh, they come down to the market and enjoy some spiked uh, hot cocoa around a fire pit. Oh, um, we'll have more hours once the weather breaks and it gets a little nicer. Uh, but we actually closed our Buffalo tasting room prior to COVID, uh, just as part of a structural realignment for the company. Um, sure. So that's been closed for over a year now. Sure. Oh, that's great to know. I, I will definitely have to uh, check it out over the weekend. That's you'd, great. Yeah, you'd like that. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, it's Absolutely. a fun Saturday afternoon, especially if the sun is shining and it's not too cold. Uh, you know, we've got great Adirondack chairs and a fire pit and some hot boozy cocktails. And boozy. <laughs> love that word. Yeah. Love I it. too. That's great. That is good to know. And then, um, well, we'll talk about future when we when we get back to this. So um, that's good to know that you guys are, hey, you're flat to last year. You've got things going on. Really appreciate that you could, you know, not only keep people on, but hire people. That's a huge feat. No, that's big, especially um, now. And a lot, of, a lot of companies aren't doing that. I was, I was just lauding Delta Airlines yesterday for playing paying bonuses to I employees saw that, yeah, that I had, saw you posted that they That's, had pay cuts and they and and they paid bonuses to those that had pay cuts to try to even them out yeah. which no yeah. other airlines doing that so that's incredible so i think for for the business you're in jason for you to keep people on and actually hire people get people jobs and and find ways to survive is uh it's admirable and it's uh it's humane and it's just the it's just the kind thing to do so congratulations on that definitely yeah, no, we were very proud. We, um, with some of the hand sanitizer work that we were doing last yep. year, we were able to do bonuses uh, for our staff during the production, and then we did a pretty nice Christmas bonus as well. Oh my God, that's uh, awesome! And they earned it. You know, they, they. I mean, the whole team, you know, put their shoulder into it and and crushed for the whole year, and uh, we wanted to make sure they knew that we appreciated all of that. We also actually. Uh, gave everybody two mental health PTO days to use in January and February. Um, because again, everybody's been pushing for a whole year really hard. Just, you know, we want them to take some long weekends and 
Some folks even added in a couple of their own PTO days, took a whole week and just little staycations to refresh and reset their minds and come back ready to keep pushing. Cause unfortunately 2021 is also going to be a tough slog. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, it is for sure. I, 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 this year we're just trying to like figure out how to, you know, we're treading water, right? We're figuring out how to swim for me. 2022 is all about, it's not even about growth. It's about regrowth. You got to snip a yep. few things back. Like you close the Buffalo, the Buffalo uh, tasting room. Maybe that'll reopen. Maybe it'll take a different form. Maybe it'll open in a different part of the part of the state. Um, it's all about snipping back a bit and then regrowth. And uh, yep. I got to tell you, I, I, listen for you to do that for your employees not only just the payout but the mental health days like that's just the way to lead a company and uh i'll tell you I, if you if there's a way to invest i think i i know i i know there's a lot of people who invest in a company like yours simply because of the leadership not because of what you do and and that's how i invest i invest in the the people that run the company not really what the company does well, I mean, you got to pay attention to what You've the company does attention. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, there's certain but things. But I, yeah. I get your point. Bet the jockey, not the horse. That's yeah, right. right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so let's go back a bit. So I know that this idea started. You were raised in Penfield, born and raised in Penfield, New York, which is a suburb of Rochester. Um, and I know you started this around the age of 19 when you were in college. The, the, yeah, maybe making alcohol you were in college when it started but what led you to that like what was the was there anything pre-college or was this in your head I just I'm just curious because it's a great story so um so I was actually an RA my sophomore year of college I was enforcing the rules <laughs> and I then wasn't an RA my junior year but I but I knew how the rules worked and I ended up researching a paper about prohibition and through the research, discovered that uh, though I couldn't buy beer, I could buy everything that was needed to make beer. And so I went up to a homebrew shop in Syracuse, more nervous than probably anyone rightfully should be, paid cash so there'd be no paper trail. Um, and it was more an act of defiance than like an act of access to alcohol. Um, but yeah, I started brewing in the closet of my dorm room. My roommate thought it was hysterical. We got Al Capone here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the beer wasn't very good. I'll be honest. I knew nothing about what I was doing and was cutting a lot of corners cause you know, we were trying to do this on the cheap. Uh, but I graduated from college and took up home brewing as a real hobby. When I moved down to DC, that yeah. led me to being introduced to some breweries and eventually a distillery. And when I kind of got sick of the corporate world, which was faster than most people do, um, I decided I wanted to run my own company and I liked making booze. So, you know, if you could, uh, you know, you could put your energy towards uh, working at anything, making whiskeys, not a bad thing to spend the day doing. No, definitely not. So let's dive in a little, a little deeper around that. So this, this paper on prohibition, was this like for a, just a, a was this for a class or like? Like what? There's lots of things I, I papers I did, but I just never. So, so I was a political science major. Ah, okay. And um, and actually specialized in political and tax policy. And one thing that's interesting about prohibition, the I mean, they they had to do two really interesting things. One, they had to convince everyone that alcohol was evil. So that's a hard selling point. Right. But two, prior you know, you go 20 years before prohibition, 75 percent of the government's revenue came from excise taxes. Mm. So both on liquor. 
So before they could pass prohibition, they had to change how the government um, collected funds. And that's actually where the birth of the modern income tax came from. So you can thank all the pre-prohibition or the prohibitionists uh, when you do your taxes every April 15th. That was their idea on how to fund the government without the government being reliant on alcohol. Wow. Had no idea. Wow. I know. Well, it's kind of, yeah. Always goes back to booze. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Hey, Jason, where'd that title Black Button come from? So my family's actually been making buttons in Rochester for four generations. Oh. If you know where Monroe Ave meets 490, the building now called Button Lofts, that was the MB oh shop. Oh, yeah. wow, really? Factory. All right. Yep. You'd walked in there in 1922. My great-grandfather was the shop foreman. My wow. great-grandmother actually worked one of the machines. Um, my mother still runs that company today. It was just one problem with passing on to the, the next generation. I'm colorblind. So it was a joke when I was a kid that if I took over the factory, we'd have to switch to only making black buttons. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided I would make some black buttons, but of the liquid variety. (laughs) Very good. So you, you, so in college, you just, the the beer that you read about prohibition and then you're just like, oh, I'm going to brew you just, you and a few guys are like, we'll brew our own beer. That's where it kind of started. And through this, Then you moved to D.C. You worked for another local Rochester company. You worked for Paychex, right? Yep. So you're at that corporate job at Paychex down in D.C. But while you're doing that, your hobby is starting to take up more of your time. Yeah. I mean, the the funny thing about homebrewing, you make beer five gallons at a time. And that's a lot of any individual style of beer to drink. So you end up giving it away to friends who then want to come and brew more beer with you. And you drink the beer while you're making more beer. But as you, you know, you, you have like a spiraling effect or a snowballing effect because as you make more beer, you have to give it away to more people, which yeah. now have more people that want to come do it with you to so make even more beer. So pretty quickly, I was making, you know, probably 30 to 50 gallons a month in Holy my crap. kitchen, you know, every weekend, having oh, people wow. over, drinking beer, making beer. Um, and uh, and I ended up getting to know a lot of the, the breweries in in D.C., yeah, And then DC ended up with its first distillery, Catoctin Creek. They became a client of mine at Paychex. And I realized everything I loved about making beer, I could turn into making whiskey. But at the end, you have whiskey, which is ever so much more fun. Um, and I was a little afraid that I had maybe missed the craft beer boom. Yeah, this was 2012. There would have been about five breweries in Rochester at that point. So opening the sixth was less exciting to me, whereas being the first distillery was exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously now there's over 20 breweries. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but anyway, yeah, the distillery just seemed to suit my taste a little more. Um, and so I dove head in, you know, headlong into that. And that was all just from the, you're just kind of, you were just kind of self-taught right from the, just from the brewing a beer. And then, cause I, so I, I know, I know that I know you've got a really powerful, I call it powerful certificate. So I'd love to hear and then tell us about the certificate that you have. Cause I know you're like the only place in New York that can train master distillers. So I went to a couple of apprentice programs out on the West coast and I did my master distilling work at dry fly distilling in Spokane, Washington. Wow. Um, got certified out there, came back. They're real, you know, the distilling industry is very West coast based. I mean, the same way beer was in like the eighties, they got better laws. They've got better access to, um, capital and some other things that just make, 
brewing and distilling work better west on the west coast in colorado and there was nobody doing those programs here on the east coast so we started one up um and yeah each year we certify about eight to ten master distillers um it's a full hands-on apprentice program that requires you know not everybody that applies gets in um it's not just like signing up for a class at the ymca or anything um and we've had people come and spend the time with us and not pass and obviously that's not the goal you know we, we work to get them to the right level um but yeah i'm my both myself and my business partner jeff fairbrother are u.s master distillers yeah and then because we're super gin nerds we actually went over to uh, england and got certified by the worshipful company of distillers uh as uk warden rectifiers so there's only seven you know basically the equivalent of master distillers but from the british side there's only seven of those in the united states and two of them work at black button that is incredible because I, I read that and I I'm, thank you for for giving us the detail around that because I read that no literally makes, it's yeah. the only place in New York State that you can you can, well actually it's it's beyond New York right probably I mean there's other I mean there's six and or five other people one in but, Ohio now but the the next school that we really compete with is down in Kentucky wow and and what I find interesting we're so the the place in Kentucky is just a school they don't run an operating distillery. Whereas we're making whiskey day in and day out. So if you want to learn from folks that are actually walking miles in those shoes, you got to go to Colorado before you're really going to find the level of education that we do. Wow. That's incredible. That is. So it's been very rewarding. I've got some very close friends uh, that have been former students. So I'm sure the tasting parties must be amazing. (laughs) When we get together, it can get a little epic. Yeah. <laughs> epic. That tells you everything you need I know, to know. Right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you figure everybody brings one or two full bottles of whiskey. Yeah. And then you, of course, want to try everyone else. It's like a bad potluck dinner. Yeah. Everybody brings way too much stuff. And at the end, you're, yeah, you know, there's everybody's way too full. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so it sounds, listen, the way, the way you, you, you talk about it, it, it might seem to people like, oh, wow, that's great. He just decided he's going to do this. And then he went to, did some apprenticeships and it's like, no, it takes time to do it and to do it really well. So you put in all this hard work, you get these amazing certifications, you know what you're doing. Tell us more about maybe as, in as much detail as you can about just how did you pick your site? How did you hire your employees? What was your, at the time, did you have a vision and mission or did that come after you opened? Um, you know, did you have, did you have like a three or five year plan or is it like, Hey, we're just going to take it quarter by quarter. I just love to hear as much detail as you can on that. Yeah. So, um, so we had a really solid business plan. Um, I'd probably spent about 18 months really, uh, honing it, passing it by other entrepreneurs, passing it by folks in the industry, you know, looking for people to beat it up so we could fix those things. I had a full 10 year projection. We blew through the 10 year projection in three years, but it was still good to to have the 10 year projection. Um, The site selection was really just that I knew I wanted to be near the public market. To me, that's the epicenter of food in Rochester. And it had the handy thing of also being zoned correctly. Um, And at the time being a little um, more industrial than it is today, which made the rent very affordable. So it was sort of the perfect Venn diagram of, oh, it's close to where people that love food go. 
it's affordable and it's zoning is correct. Yep. And then we, uh, we were very fortunate that, uh, that Robox brewing company, which owns the building we're in, uh, was nice enough to, to lease us the 5,000 square feet that we call home. Wow. Uh, for hiring staff. I mean, that one was, uh, was kind of a funny one. Um, you know, the very first few staff members were actually friends of mine, uh, friends from high school that, uh, that came to work for me part-time, uh, in those early days, sometimes for booze, sometimes for being paid properly. Um, <laughs> when it was time to, uh, to hire real employees, yeah. um, we, you know, I, I put an ad up on indeed got, you know, we were really looking for sort of a Jack of all trades, you know, accounting office manager, tasting room manager. Um, and this really lovely, um, woman applied and she uh she didn't really have relevant experience and she didn't have anything that would suggest that this was a good plan right. uh she had run a shipping department for an electronics company yeah, but she wrote a letter that uh that explained why she you know, she had a go get them attitude and feared nothing and um and i met with her and a couple other people and we hit it off and uh, for that first like two years, she was the she was the only full time employee. We had some part time bartenders on the weekends. Yeah, mostly people that had stopped in and been like, "Wow, I love what you're doing." You know, any chance you need some help? And we're like, "Well, yeah, actually." Um, so yeah, it all just kind of uh, worked itself out. Um, but obviously, lots of challenges as well. You know, we. Yeah. We had one bartender early on, I remember, who was like, oh, I, I'm not going to work the weekends. You know, Monday through Friday is for work. Oh, that's great. Saturday for is for <laughs> relaxation. I'm like, well, I mean, I, I get you, but we're only open on Saturday. So you're not going to get a lot of bartending hours <laughs> if you can't work on Saturdays. So maybe this just isn't a fit for you. Right. Um, but overall, we've been very blessed. Um, we've, we've got a great staff now. We've, we've worked with a lot of great people. Um, and again, some of our folks that have moved on, um, have stayed good friends. You know, I still see that, that first employee, she hasn't worked for me for four or five years. Right. Um, you know, life moved on and things changed, uh, for her and she ultimately took a different job and, but we still get together a couple that's times how, a year. That's how drink. it should be. You were a landing yeah. zone for her. You helped her grow in her career by giving her, you know, right. a launching pad. A, yeah. A wider birth of yep. experience. She, she yeah. probably learned a lot. She was able to contribute as well, which is a yeah. great balance. And when they're ready, they move on. I've done that with employees before. And it, you know, in a way you're sad to see them go, but then I'm just like, I'm just glad that it happened and I'm glad you're going on to something better. You know, if you, well, and, you know? And it really is a powerful thing. Our, our very first full-time sales rep yep. uh, is a young man named Charles Marone. And, uh, you know, he was in a dead end job at like, uh, at, you know, in an accounting department, he wanted to get into sales, but to get into sales, everybody said he had to have sales experience and he didn't have any formal sales experience. Um, we, you know, I knew his uncle quite well, we got connected and, and these are early days. I mean, we, there was no reason to believe we were going to be successful. Right. And I made him a deal. I was like, listen, I have enough money to pay you for eight weeks. You and I have to sell 130 boxes in the next eight weeks for me to keep you. And then 20 boxes a week after that. And if we're at 125, eight weeks from now, I have to let you go. I literally will not be able to afford your salary but I will do everything I can to help you be successful. Wow. If you'll do everything you can to be successful. He took that leap. 
he, uh, he helped us grow our business significantly. He worked for me for about four years and then he got an opportunity to move into tech sales, which is what he wanted. And yep. today he's actually the vice president of sales of the company that he left us for. And when I talked to him, he's like, Jason, it's the same things you always taught me. It's, you know, there's, get a process, work the process, you know, know your metrics, know your numbers and just keep hustling. And today, you know, he, he's got a whole sales career and a family. And, and I love the fact that we were able to be a part of that and gave him an opportunity to succeed where other businesses had passed him over. Yep. And he's still, again, a good friend and, um, and most folks that know us well will notice that my daughter's nickname is Charlie. And, <laughs> Aww, uh, and some of that is related to the fact that he's, he's one of our best success stories. That's great. It was huge for us and it turned out to be huge for him as well. So it was a great, a great opportunity. Yeah, for both I, I, I love that. It's you, you just, you hire to attitude. You're not actually higher. I mean, in some cases, yeah, you wouldn't, you need a certain skill set, but you're just hiring for, you're hiring for that attitude or personality. Sometimes it doesn't matter whether the person, as long as they've got the, the purposeful part of the job down, you can teach the function. And that's how I've always tried to operate too. It's like, sometimes I've yep. hired people like, what the hell are you hiring that person for? I'm like, great attitude, wants, wants to work hard. They're a builder. That's all I need. All this other functional crap we can teach them. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I wish more companies would think that way because they're missing out on a lot of great talent. Yeah. You, you can teach on skills. You can't teach on attitude. That's right. And I mean, a majority of my sales force today does not have a college degree. That, and but you don't they, need one. They work hard. They, you know, we lay out the, the plan of how they can be successful. They work that program. And, um, and some of them, you know, again, can make 70, $80,000 a year having never finished college. And in, in some ways I, I prefer that because they've got a hustle and a mindset that they want, you know, they, this is their chance to be successful and, yep. and we want to help them be a part of that. That's amazing. And I, and I've, you know, one of the things that, you know, I do a lot of mentoring now and there's some, some most are in their, their twenties and most have gone to college, but some haven't. And some of them, I tell that I'm like, it's okay. You know, there's no rule that says you have to go to college. There's no rule that says, because I didn't do this, I can't do this. It's like, that might be how everybody was raised way back yeah, when. It's old fashioned. It's old fashioned. Yep. There's none of that anymore. And that's, that's again, that's another big part of the show, right? You don't have to follow a linear no, path. You don't. don't go to college. Or, you know, what happened to taking a gap year? I wish I had. Yeah. Just take a gap year, go work, and then see if you have the aptitude for school. And if you still do, you go. To be honest, I'm glad I went to school. But if I had taken a gap year, I don't know. Yeah. I, I know I still would be me, you but would. I would be in a diff. But I would be doing something completely different. I think. I don't know. I don't. It's, and that's the same way I feel about study abroad opportunities. Yeah. I I I really enjoyed uh, a summer in college that I spent in Spain. Um, but I, I really think if I'd had an opportunity to do another one, I'd be a more worldly person with different outlooks on life. Yeah. And yeah, the opportunity to, to spend six months in Europe and how do they live and what do they do and how does that culture work? I think it's invaluable to people. Um, also gives you a lot of sense of independence for you sure. Know, when you're on the other side of the world, if something happens, you got to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't just, you know, phone home and you know, have mommy drive down to see it. That's so right. Yeah. I no. think it gives young folks a lot of independence, which I think is good. Yep. 
Hey, Jason, we got, you know, with the podcast, we have people who listen probably, you know, all over the country. We have some people in Europe that listen. Yep. Uh, can they find your product in other states uh, around the world? Is it just local? So we distribute to 14 states uh, here in the United States, and we do export to Japan. Unfortunately, nice. exporting to Europe's not currently possible or on the horizon. There's yeah. just a lot of regulatory stuff that goes into that. Um, but the neat part um, that just happened in really the last eight months, uh, there have been a lot of changes to direct-to-consumer shipping. And it turns out we can now ship to 48 of the 50 states. We're missing like Nebraska and South Dakota. Yeah. Um, so actually, if folks are listening, they can go right to our website. They can have bottles delivered right to their home. Yeah, we don't have any listeners in those two states. That's it. <laughs> and, uh, and those folks can just have it delivered to a neighbor across state lines. And oh, there you go. And, yeah. Um, what's the What's the website? Blackbuttondistilling.com. Perfect. Blackbuttondistilling.com. One other question I have, though, but back kind of around the origin, and that's just because I know a few people are going to are going to be asking this already. So. You found the right locate, you know, the Venn diagram, right location, right price, right customer base. Did you bootstrap it to get in there? Like, how did you get in yeah. there? Was it like like the security deposit, and then you had to have money to refit the whole place and build it out? Like, that's a big undertaking. So, how how did that yeah. go? Let's hear about so that. So, when I had moved to DC, um, I had bought a fixer upper house um, with some money that yeah, you know, I, I worked for a couple years, wanted to get out an apartment could only afford a pretty cheap house that needed a lot of work. Luckily I like, I'm good with my hands. And I like doing that stuff. So I had fixed the house up and also the neighborhood had improved while I was there. So I was able to cash out of that house and my 401k with about $250,000. Okay. The problem being that that was not nearly enough. Um, so I went to 17 banks. Uh, <sighs> luckily two of the 17 said yes. So they lent me another $250,000. I now had half a million dollars to start the company. Wow. Um, unfortunately, it took about $600,000 to start the company. <laughs> and for those of you uh, with at least 10th grade math, you'll, you'll notice that 600 is more than 500. <laughs> um, so we did a, a small crowdfunding campaign where we raised about $30,000 from the community through Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and then we put the rest of it on credit cards and we went, we opened our doors about 40 grand in the hole, um, juggling credit cards to keep the bank at bay. And, uh, and yeah, those first years were rough. I mean, I, all the money I had set aside to pay myself gone, all the money I had set aside to make bourbon gone, all the money, you know, I was supposed to use to have an apartment gone. So I actually ended up living on a futon in my office for the first 18 months. Ooh, 18 um, months. Yes. Now, I mean, for what it's worth, wow. I was also my folks. You know, I stayed at my folks house a couple nights a week. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but sure. I was also I mean, I was working like 18 hours a day. Yeah. You know, we we do the accounting and the sales during daylight hours. And then after dinner, I'd fire up the still and make whiskey into the night so that we could bottle it the next day. And. <sighs> So there wasn't a lot of reason to go home because you just had to come right back. <laughs> so so um, when you were starting this, what was your support system like with the family? Were they, were people like patting you on the back saying, yeah, keep going? Were there people saying you really made a big mistake? So my family's always been very supportive. Great. And um, only later did I find out that some of that support was uh, maybe, you know, 
that they was more to my face and it's and privately they were like what the hell is this kid doing <laughs> um but we came but and i know this is going to sound odd um but i think the way i explained part of it to them um helped make it easier for them to understand i was 24 years old a very good friend of mine from high school um had not uh taken the same path as me uh was just working kind of minimum wage jobs but he was happy and the problem was here, I was working this big corporate job. I was on the rising star program. I've got a 401k and I'm not happy. And, and part of that was the drive to want to do my own thing is I, I just wanted to be happy. And I even talked to my folks. I was like, honestly, this all goes to shit and I'm bankrupt before I'm 30. At least I tried and I'll go back to that corporate job and I'll work off my debts and I'll start over but I'd rather have, I'd rather try and not make it than not have tried and wonder. And I'll know it all before I'm 30. And there's plenty of folks that at 30 are living paycheck to paycheck. So what do I have to lose? There's no rules Um, on that either. Nope. Yeah. And, um, and I think that helped them, uh, understand where I, where I was coming from on it. And, you know, I mean, they, they were kind enough to let me stay in the guest room and, uh, feed me, which was also important. Yeah, helpful. Um, and actually, um, so my, the other part of that, so my, my now wife and I have actually known each other since high school. We did not start dating until I came back to Rochester and, uh, started the distillery. Um, but you know, here she was working a, a normal 40 hour week and then most nights coming and hanging out with me while I'm, you know, making whiskey and, you know, we're watching, you know, maybe we turn on Netflix on a laptop. Um, but she was very supportive as well. Cause had she been saying, you know, I want, I want you to take me to a fancy dinner. I want you to take me out. You know, yeah. if she had wanted more of those maybe traditional things in our twenties, um, it would have put a lot of stress on me cause I didn't have any money. Right. And, uh, and you were doing we, what you wanted to be doing. Yeah. And so. she was very, very helpful and very supportive. Um, which is of course then why I married her. Right. Well, listen, it's great. Listen, it's great to find somebody. I always say that wants to come along for the ride sometimes. And and you know what? You could be one of those people too, but if you're the one that's actually in the driver's seat, it's like, look, here's what's going on. Yeah. I would love this, but you got to come along for the ride. And when you find somebody that wants to come along for the ride and is supportive like that, um, that to me is one of the, those invaluable things that, uh, yeah, you can't put a price on that. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And we've always just gotten a lot of, um, you know, a lot of what works for us is spending time together. Yeah. I mean, we, even now, you know, if we're going out, we, we often are going somewhere more simple than fancy just because that's, it's more about spending time together. Yep. Um, so that our, our priorities are aligned and I also try to make sure to support her in her goals and what she wants to do. Of course. So it, it goes well for both of us. Yeah. That's great. And, that, and that's one thing I think that that this whole predicament we've been in for just over a year has has taught a lot of people. It's like, yeah, there is time. Life is short, but life's not really that short if you don't get distracted by the wrong things. It's like stay, you know, you, you can still you can still do your thing and support other people while you're doing it and vice versa, which is great. Um, so one thing to kind of wrap up where you are now, and obviously you can't tell me all the secrets or tell us all the secrets. Mm-hmm. But so you you. you like, are you taking things in terms of a year, a quarter, two years, three years? Like I know your 10 year plan you did in three years. So how are you planning now? Cause I think a lot of businesses 
are struggling with that. And to be quite frank, I think some of them are focused too much on the future, but you might prove me wrong. So how are you planning now? Like what? So we, um, we have a one little difference from us, from most businesses, Uh, about 25% of our revenue comes from our age products. And so we have to forecast that out five or six years in advance. Wow in order to, cause it also the process of making whiskey, you know, you, you cut down a tree, you make staves out of that tree. You age those staves for two years. You then make a barrel out of those staves. You put the whiskey in it. You then age that for four to six years. So we have to actually like tell our Cooper how many trees to cut down this year for the stuff we want to sell at like the end of the decade. Wow. And And although there are staves available, if you don't get it right, um, they're much more expensive Sure. and uh, there isn't always access. So in the early years, that was actually a major hurdle to getting started. What what informs you on that? Honestly, this is crazy. I mean, I I almost want to hire you guys to forecast for for the company I work for. My God. Yeah, that's crazy. So um, so we we have some pretty nice uh, Excel models. Um, and then we have a very trusty magic eight ball. Okay. Um, and, um, and the other part that often constrains it, honestly, for us is cash. Cause you have to, sure. you have to be able to pay for making the barrels today. So oftentimes actually we have a projection of what we want to make. And then we have a realization of what we le- what we really can make in terms of our today cash flow. Um, so usually it, that's actually the constraining point, but we have to, we have to have that long-term vision to be able to figure that stuff out and really try to project the company's growth. Um, we know that's not terribly accurate. You know, all, and we joke at the end of it, all we know is the only thing that's not going to happen is what our plan is. We then have a much more robust uh, one-year plan yeah. where every December we sit down, we look at every single account, buy every product yep. and we adjust, you know, and okay, where are we hiring more people? Where are we doing more marketing? Where are we doing less marketing? And we, that gives us a very robust plan. And then we try to manage that plan by month. So, you know, we, you know, the sales reps know every Thursday where they stand against what they're supposed to deliver that month and whether they're ahead or behind. And the folks that are ahead get coached on trying to blow the number out of the water. And the yeah. folks that are behind, we try to catch them up. And the folks in the middle get it real easy because we're dealing with the other two groups. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, for us, it's sort of a, th- a three-step process. Real long-term vision that we that's more just indicative. A one-year, really milestone uh, plan that's by month and... Right. Uh, you know, for every revenue account, for every expense account. And we really try to hold to that because, yeah. you know, if you, and, and obviously then still adjust as the world moves around. Right. But, but, but what I'm getting from you is it's like, instead of just, I think a lot of companies were thinking so far out. And what I love about your approach is it's like, no, it's about what's going on in the moment, like right now. Yes. And month to month, and then you can look at the quarter and then you can be like, oh, maybe we could forecast because we're doing so well this quarter. Maybe we could forecast a little more next quarter and push, you know, especially your top performers. You can push them a little bit and and, and maybe add some incentives and and whatnot in there. But in terms of trying to forecast out the next three years, four years. Yeah. In terms of uh, uh, the, the barrel aging, I get it. 
but everything else, it's like to try for companies to try to forecast out that far now in this world. One thing we've learned, I, I don't think that's possible, and I think it could be dangerous if you do it too much. I mean, I always think it's funny. Um, you know, we we have some significant bank loans, and part of our covenants sure. to that is that every year we turn in a bi month, three year projection, yeah. um, and it's due in July of each year. So July of this past year, they you know they asked me for my three year projection. And I really did kind of laugh. I'm like, do you know what happened the last three months? <laughs> yeah. Like the, the world turned upside down. Um, we gave them a number anyway, and we'll have updated ones for them this July. And I understand why they're important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, spending too much time on things that are too far in the future just ends up being a waste of time and resources. Yep. You know, because the question is, what can you do today? What can you do this month? to put numbers on the board and move you towards that ultimate goal. And yeah, you need to know the direction you're heading, but yeah. you got to live in the moment and, and keep that ball focused every day. Yeah. Thro throwing darts are for fun, not for business. So I, I yes. agree with you. We I got like it. that. That's a t-shirt. Um, that's a t-shirt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Jason, I just want to thank you for your time today. Uh, we yeah. always appreciate our guests giving time out of their busy days. And I know you've got a lot, even though you're probably not doing 18 hour days as much anymore, or maybe you are, um, this, your time is still very valuable. Mm -hmm. So I just want to, no, happy this, to do it. this was great. And, um, once, uh, once things start getting back, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, it'll be a new world. Once the new world officially starts, we'd love to have you back on and, and talk about, you know, where you are with the business and, and some other things that you'll be doing. Um, but for now we've been talking with Jason Barrett. He is the founder and CEO of black button distilling in Rochester, New York. You can find it at blackbuttondistilling.com. And please come visit. I know I will be um, on Saturdays. You can sit outside in a lounge chair and get some hot cocoa with a whiskey back and mm -hmm. sit by the fire. Anything I missed there? Are we good? Yeah, I think you guys got it. And Excellent. A, a nice Adirondack chair. And it, that's right. The Adirondack chair. Not a lot. I'm not said a fan. I'm not a fan of the Adirondack chair, but go out and enjoy those Adirondack chairs. Yeah, but when you have bourbon in your cocoa, yeah, you're it's, it's, it's impossible that. to get out of an Adirondack chair sober. I can't imagine when you have a little buzz on. <laughs> yeah, you just put a blanket all out. <laughs> put a blanket on people. Um, anyway, but Jason, thank you so much. Enjoy yeah, the rest thanks, of your Jason. day, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Wow, that was great. I love I love the the local flavor. You got to add in the local flavor. I, yeah, I like the local. You know what I also forever you hear about. Um, like craft beer, like I've, yeah. I've heard about it forever, but oh. I never heard much about craft spirits. And it was just interesting to, you know, hear that whole story and how he got it going. It's yeah, great. exactly. So there's, there's 486 breweries in New York state and about 60 craft distilleries. Yeah. See, give you a perspective of yeah. just how much smaller we are as an industry <laughs> and how much in it. And that tells you right there how much the businesses differ. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, I mean, Rohrbach's Brewing Company is arguably the oldest craft brewery in the nation. Um, it was started in 1987, or sorry, in the in Rochester, not the nation. Mm -hmm. um, oldest craft brewery in Rochester, 1987. We're the oldest distillery in Rochester. Started, I mean, started the company in 2012, but didn't start production till 2014. There. So, yeah. you know, very different uh, timescales there. Oh, completely. Mm -hmm. um, 
anyway, yeah. So, and I also liked um, that we just talked, you know, we talked a lot about the building piece. It takes a lot of time to build these, uh, you know, any business you got to put your heart and soul into, but this, right. I mean, with, with the complexities here, it takes a lot. And uh, Hey, I, I like, uh, I, I like what, uh, what Jason said earlier, just, it's like, Hey, you got to work the process, know your numbers and just keep hustling. And I think there's a lot of, of people out there, regardless of age, that are in that mode of like, it's, you know, I want to start something. And in my opinion, it's never too late to start. No. But you've got to, that, that's what you got to do. The, the hustle's a big part of it, but you've also got to come up with some type of journey or process that you can work um, while, while you're hustling along. So yeah. I, I really love that. But yep. this was great. It was great. It was yep. a good time. All awesome. right. Hey, say goodbye, George. Goodbye, George.